We're gonna get started here in just a minute or so. I just wanted to make sure we have all of the counselors here. I am not seeing Counselor Thomas or Mims. Welcome, Councilor Mims. So waiting to kind of see Councillor Thomas. Welcome, Ryan. From UISG. So I, I do know that Councillor Thomas is having issues and he's trying again right now. So hopefully we'll I'll give him a minute or and see if he can't chime in. We have our assistant city attorney with us. Welcome, Sue. Good to see you. All right. While we, um, I think we'll go ahead and get started. And I know that our uh, city clerk Kelly is working with Councillor Thomas to get him into the Zoom meeting. We have a COVID-19 one. I want to say welcome to everybody uh, tonight. This is uh, Iowa City City Council work session for Tuesday, June 2nd, 2020. Um, and as many of us know, there's um, lots happening throughout our community. Uh, we still have COVID-19 that is very prevalent. Um, although the numbers today look really good at zero um, in Johnson County, but we do know and expect a change there. Um, so we'll just put a plug out to everyone to do what you can to remember the safety measures of COVID-19. I also wanna just take a moment and acknowledge um, what's happening throughout our nation in response to the death of um, George Floyd. And this, um, when we start our formal meeting tonight, um, I do plan to have some words there then on that, but I at, at least wanted to take a moment to um, state that our nation is hurting and um, that's a reality and hopefully um, we will be able to communicate better on issues such as this and bring real resolutions. So with that being said, I'm going to um, open up uh, our floor to two doctors from the University of Iowa that's gonna talk to us a little bit about um, face shields from some of the information that they've learned. And uh, we have Dr. 
Eli. Um, um, how do you pronounce your last name? Oh, Perensevich. Perensevich. Yeah. Great. And we have Dr. Michael Edmund. And so welcome to both of you. And I'm looking forward to this opportunity to hear from you in this uh, setting. I know that Dr. Eli and I have had communication several times on this topic. So please uh, feel free to um, talk to us tonight. Okay, thank, thank you, um, Mayor Teague and counselors and all. Um, I guess I'll start and then Mike interrupt and, and chime in. <clears throat> so um, I've been uh, part of the uh, University of Iowa Co College of Public Health modeling group. Uh, we've been creating, um, I'm an infectious disease physician, epidemiologist, and, and part of uh, my role with COVID has been working with this modeling group, College of Public Health. And uh, we've been kind of, uh, kind of projecting the outbreak, and, and most of us feel there'll be a second peak sometime, um, perhaps in the fall, perhaps now. We don't, we don't fully understand this virus. It's a totally new virus. Um, there could be some seasonal benefit that we're seeing now, but we're, we're not quite sure. But we know we have to be prepared. And, and um, as groups of us have been talking about how to prepare uh, for a second wave and save our economy and keep our businesses open, get our schools open and universities open, um, we started looking at the success we've had at University of, uh, of Iowa hospitals and clinics. Um, uh, several months ago, uh, Mike Edmund, um, uh, and his group uh, purchased 13,000 uh, face shields and distributed them to all the healthcare workers there. Um, they've been well received. And, and as we've looked, not only at the data at University of Iowa Hospital, but acro across the country, uh, probably the best data is from New York City. It appears that probably the safest place to work is in healthcare. The lowest uh, infection rates in New York City are among healthcare workers. Surprising, you probably are all like, I don't believe you but it ends up being true. Um, the lowest risk of those in serology studies, so antibody immunity, um, so people that haven't been exposed at all the virus are in intensive care unit uh, doctors, then all doctors, then nurses, then other healthcare workers, and then other staff in the hospital, and all of those are lower than community rates of transmission. And so the way I interpreted that is PPE works. Um, we know that um, masks and face shields and goggles and gloves and gowns and all the preparation we do protects healthcare workers. And so if it works there, you know, it's, we, we there are a lot more essential workers than just uh, doctors and nurses. Why don't we think about the entire country as essential um, nursing homes, uh, any, any business, uh, particularly meatpacking, I think we could realize we might want to get PP there. Um, and so Kind of coming from that, I think we need to have a discussion uh, as a state and community about how to get personal protective equipment to all our citizens in a safe way. And so that's why face shields came up because they're sustainable. You know, like masks, you have to burn through one a day. Cotton masks, you can make, but they're very uncomfortable to wear for long periods. They're hard to breathe. I can't walk up more than five, four or five flights of stairs without pretty much dying in a cotton mask, which doesn't happen in a face shield or, or, uh, you know, a medical mask. And so we think it's an effective way uh, to protect uh, the community. We wanted to kind of throw that out as an idea for the uh, Iowa City to think about purchasing and distributing face shields to the community. Um, purchase price, uh, they're pretty affordable, um, anywhere from $1.60 to $5, uh, probably for good versions of sustainable uh, face shields that can be washed in soap and water or with a Clorox wipe. Um, and we think this will protect people almost as well as the PPE we have in hospitals. And clearly the risk of exposure is far less in the community than hospitals apart from maybe meatpacking. So we think this is something we should discuss as a community. So I'll stop, Mike. I don't know if you have other things to add. Is your mic not working? Mike? <laughs> he can't unmute himself. I'm sure our technical people are working on it. 
Can I ask a question while they're trying to work on that? What, what kind of a source would there be? I mean, if we were to look at some kind of community-wide program of um, doing some sort of a bulk purchase where then community members could buy those from the city or for people who can't afford it, we provided them to them. I mean, we're talking, you know, 70,000 plus people potentially. Um, what kind of a source, how hard would it be to source that many? Yeah, we started to look into that. There's a company in Cedar Rapids that contacted us. We published a paper in JAMA, Journal of American Medical Association. And so we're getting a bunch of emails from across the country about, will you look at our face shields? There's a company in Cedar Rapids that has 150,000 on pallets. Um, I know Mike, Mike, uh, you know, Dr. Edmonds looked at those and, and thought they were a pretty high quality. I can't remember the exact cost uh, of those. Uh, I think it was under $10. Um, for those. So they have 150,000. I think it's something like they can make 10,000 a day. Um, and then there's also a company, uh, I was just uh, told um, uh, one of our palliative care doctors uh, uh, shared one with me that's made in Des Moines and they can make thousands a day. Um, so I think it's more about, I think the reason it's nice to talk about now, as Mayor Teague said, we don't have a lot of infections right now, but if we plan ahead, and purchase ahead so we have them by fall when we think this is going to pick up we shouldn't have trouble sourcing them but it's it's a you know important question and those i think this des moines ones there i think i have it here this face shield i think they're two dollars and sixty cents each this version it's kind of nerdy but uh <laughs> anyway so yeah so the so kind of the range i think a dollar sixty to under ten dollars we can continue that conversation, but I wanted to just let Dr. Edmund know that we believe that you may have not um, connected to audio in Zoom. So maybe at the bottom of your screen, there's a little, um, maybe a little up cursor or something that, next to the mic. I just want to ask you a question when you, oh, did I, uh, okay, here you go. Uh, did I, I, did you say that we can use um, the shield without the mask or it have to be both? Uh, we feel in the community, you could just wear a face shield. You if a well-designed face shield, you would not need to wear a mask. Okay. And that has a lot of advantages for children, people that are hard of hearing and perhaps others. We've we feel it's a more kind of open, um, more humane personal protective equipment in the community. Yeah, because as you said, the cotton shield, yesterday I tried to put it on my mom while we're going to vote, and she was like, I can't breathe well on this. So yeah, yeah. I, I think, yeah, the shield will be working very good because you're going to get air from around. Right, it's much more natural. <laughs> To mm -hmm. read with a face shield. It's like wearing a baseball cap or glasses, really. Kind of big, ugly glasses, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Dr. M, and I think we really do want to hear from you. What I might suggest is you sign, sign out and sign back in. And sometimes that fixes the issue. So I, I know that I've, I've been wearing face shields and personally, I've, I'm gonna use uh, Counselor Weiner's uh, terminology, I find them liberating. Um, it's, it's very freeing, you can navigate with them throughout the community and not, I don't know, I, I have mine right here, so. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have several. <laughs> yeah. um, but but they, are, they are pretty nice and um, this one I understand was only a dollar to make. So there are certainly some that have um, more simplistic properties, uh, materials being used than others. So um, I, I love it. I think it's, it's been working great. The research that you all have done. Oh, Dr. M, please. Can you hear me? Yes. yes. Oh, good. <laughs> Um, yeah, the only thing that I would add to what Eli has said um, is the one of the real advantages of the face shield 
is that it protects your eyes. So when people wear masks, they really aren't getting eye protection. And we know from this virus that the way it's transmitted is primarily through droplets. And uh, in order to become infected, a droplet has to touch your eye, your nose, or your mouth. Those are the three ways that the virus gets into the body. So the face shield is uh, a way to protect all three of those sites. So for the for the public out there, because I, I know that the biggest question is, is the face shield sufficient? Um, when would it be appropriate for you to wear, wear face shield and mask? Mike, do you want to go? So I would say, um, I think it depends on your risk tolerance. I don't think you really need it. So I will say, uh, as an infectious disease doctor, uh, when I go to the grocery store, I wear my shield um, and I don't wear a mask with it. And I feel very comfortable and I feel protected doing that. I think if somebody feels like they want more protection than what a shield could provide, you could add a mask to that. Um, uh, I don't see a, a, a real problem uh, with doing that, though I don't think you necessarily need to do that. When it comes down to healthcare and direct um, personal care, is that there's a difference there, so. In the hospital setting, we do things to patients that create aerosols, um, and that's a whole different story. And in that situation, even a, the face masks, the medical face masks are really not enough for that situation. We have to use these N95 respirator masks um, if, we're, if we are generating an aerosol in the hospital. We still wear shields on top of the, of the uh, N95 mask because the N95 mask doesn't protect the eyes. Yeah, I think the other benefit of face shields, um, even in those situations, or if you wanted to wear a mask, like if you had a risk tolerance that made you feel more comfortable wearing a mask, is that it protects you from touching your face. And then when you remove your mask, your mask isn't contaminated because it's been covered by a shield the whole time. And one of the biggest risk factors we think is people touching their face or touching a dirty mask and then touching their face while they're removing the mask. And so it's just an added layer of protection. I think if I was someone in a higher risk group, um, you know, especially someone in a nursing home or had to go out or with a, a lot of comorbid conditions or someone in their 70s or 80s, uh, I would definitely wear, you know, both probably just to be on the safe side. But, but um we think, and when we modeled this, even if, um, and we think masks are probably 90 plus percent effective in blocking droplets from reaching your face, especially well-designed ones. So the one that was tested in the best study was a really crappy throwaway one, not like the good ones we, we would recommend. But um, even if the mass, uh, the face shields were only about 50% effective, we could eliminate the virus. It's practically like a vaccine. Because as soon as you cut off transmission, if enough of us have them, um, we could really, you know, uh, keep this under control. Mm -hmm. um, and, and masks would work the same way, but they only protect others. They don't protect you. So it's a double benefit from uh, face shields. Uh, they protect you and others by containing and blocking. Yeah, I'll just pick up on that. The, what Eli said, um, to stop the outbreak, you don't need an intervention that's 100% effective. Um, and from a public health perspective, um, that we don't need to take it that far. And what I remind people about all the time is that we really push influenza vaccine every year, and that vaccine's 40% effective on average. So it's not near 100% effective, but yet we see benefit in the community from people doing that. So, so. Um, you know, I think it's how you look at it, you might come to different conclusions. If you look at it from an individual perspective, am I protected? Then you make a decision about whether you think the shield is enough or whether you want to add a face mask to that. But if you're looking at it from a population perspective, from a public health perspective, you don't need an intervention that's 100% effective to stop the outbreak. Do are you aware of any um, of the suppliers around here that have smaller shields that would for, say, for kids and smaller kids? I mean, I ended up getting one for a, like a two-year-old off the internet, but um, 
but there are a lot of kids, you know, there are school kids, there are, there are middle school kids, there are people who do not, whose, whose heads and faces are not, uh, they would be dwarfed by the size of, mm -hmm. of the ones that we're getting for us. I don't know about local suppliers. I do know, I've seen multiple vendors um, online that have them um, and they have all kinds of fun ones, you know, that have uh, make your face look like a cat or a princess or whatever, you know, you want to be that to try to get uh, to encourage kids to wear them. So, so they are available. Um, I'll just add on because this, this was when I was uh, muted and I couldn't unmute, but when you were talking about different vendors, um, I've been contacted by several different uh, companies. Um, most of these are actually small companies who um, have retrofit their production lines to, to start making face shields. Um, there's, for example, there's a company in Cleveland. It's called Cleveland Menu Company. They make menus for restaurants, those plastic things that you put the menu in. And now they're making face shields. Um, and they've made actually several different models of face shields. Um, and theirs are, um, when you buy them, you know, at volume, they're like $1.75. Um, and they, uh, they've sent me some of them. So I tried them. Um, and they're, they're really decent quality ones that, that would last you. I also want to ask you, uh, yes, help me Andre, like, understand that, understand you right. You said, as Amayar said, we don't have like numbers uh, of increasing today, but uh, I know that the people, people in the community understand that this is going to go away by like maybe the end of the year, but I hear you saying this is will pick up again by the winter. Is there a great possibility this is really gonna pick up again during fall and winter? Yeah, I think that's a really strong possibility because we, it hasn't gone away. So it's, it, we're still having in a state, I can't remember the numbers today, but there are two or 300 cases a day, um, uh, even now. And so it's not going away. And then we have no immunity, probably less than 1% of people in Iowa are immune. So if it's there, um, it's going to spread. There's nothing magical. I, 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 I am impressed with people in Johnson County and, and Lynn County because people are social distancing, even though they're moving around more. I mean, people are definitely keeping their six feet. They're doing a lot more things outside. Uh, they're definitely washing their hands. There's a lot of mask wearing, which is why I think face shields will work here. I've started to see face shields pop up at Costco and Trader Joe's when I've gone and the co-op. So I think it's a, a good pl place to do it, but, it, but it, we, it will come back. I think there's no one that thinks this will disappear until there's a vaccine. Um, Coronavirus, we, we're, we don't really understand, but coronavirus is the traditional ones or the seasonal ones that come with the common cold are all gone by May. Um, I mean, just totally gone. And clearly these, this virus is all over the place in every state, um, even now. So we don't think it's gonna go away. It may, may go a little, um, become a little less prevalent in the summer, but it won't go away. Great. I think what what I've heard too is that, uh, and maybe you can clarify this, that that this one is is somewhat unique in that it has more of a contact transmission effect. So that uh, that would uh, encourage folks to wear the the face shields because if if you don't have that person to person conduction of of the actual virus, that will help. It might still be out there, but your numbers will stay low, which is what we'd like to see. We don't want to see the numbers escalating, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, it's spread by droplet and contact. So sneezes and coughs and then the sneeze. So if it directly you cough on someone, in fact, almost happened to me a couple a week ago now, I was wearing my face shield in Walgreens where a person just let go a sneeze like three feet from me. Fortunately, wow. I had my face shield on. And so if that would have landed on my mouth or, or nose or eyes, I would become infected. And then, or if what they sneezed on was something and then I touched it and touched my face, then I could have gotten infected as well. So droplets in the air directly with cough and sneeze within six feet, or if you touch something right after they sneeze, you might pick up enough to become sick. But, uh, but mostly the sneezes and coughs though, we think, and speaking and singing in choirs and things like this are big risk factors. Great. 
Well, thank you all for coming on and sharing about face shields and how they can help decrease our risk. Really appreciate hearing this. And thanks for all the work that you do in our community for those that are ill and bringing some, um, some, some more opportunities for regaining of health. So thanks for all that you do. And yeah, I appreciate you joining us tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor Teague and counselors. Uh, let us know if we can be of further assistance. Great. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Awesome. Well, we are still open to COVID-19 updates. I don't know if anyone um, has any updates or if anyone from the city staff wants to give an update. Um, Mayor, I can just give a, a brief uh, service update uh, to you and um, before I do that, I'll just, I'll just mention, um, we have, uh, as a city, procured about 1,100 face shields just for, for our employees. Uh, some of those, about 400 through the Emergency Operations Center, and then we've purchased 700 ourselves for employees. And right now we have about 450 of those distributed, so employees can, can request those. Uh, they're not mandatory. Uh, masks uh, are, are mandatory or, or coverings, face coverings are mandatory for our employees, um, but um, uh, we do give them the option. But clearly with 450 um, already distributed, uh, face shields are a, are a popular choice uh, for, for our employees. And I think as the weather warms and people get uh, used to the, the, the differences in comfort, we'll see more of those face shields go. So. Um, uh, put a plug in there for our experience so far. Uh, quick uh, service level update again. Um, our public works operations are pretty much back to full speed. We have the landfill back open. Uh, and this week we resumed our white goods or bulky waste pickup at curbside. That can be done by appointment now again. Uh, our transportation services operations are also slowly getting back to full speed. Uh, we do have our parking uh, system back up. Uh, so um, there are charges in the ramps and we do have enforcement again downtown. Uh, that has been going well. Uh, we are gearing up for a return to our normal transit service, our summer transit service on June 15th, which will include a, a return to front boarding uh, and fare collection as well. Um, busy time in parks with lots of changes the past couple of weeks. Uh, yesterday we reopened playgrounds. We have caution signs at those playgrounds, but they are open. Uh, we have uh, lap swimming that we uh, hope to start on June 15th at Mercer. Uh, the council knows we're doing a lighting project in the pool area, so we want to make sure we get the, that project complete, uh, get the pool filled back up and get the state to inspect it. Uh, but right now it looks like we should be on track for the 15th if all those things fall into place. We'll have limited capacity, it'll be by appointment only, uh, but we'll, we will be able to accommodate um, those that uh, are missing the opportunity to swim. And then uh, they are gearing up for some uh, programming um, as well. And programming is gonna look a lot different this summer, as you might imagine, these smaller groups, uh, bigger areas, uh, mostly utilizing outdoor areas, not indoor areas. Uh, but uh, some of that will be announced here shortly. Uh, we do uh, intend to resume our party in the parks and we'll be using uh, larger parks this year. So um, starting uh, in, in June, targeting June 18th, uh, we'll look at uh, some of our regional parks that, that allow people to spread out a little bit more. So City Park and Riverfront Crossings, Willow Creek and Mercer uh, are some, some good examples of the parks we'll be utilizing uh, this summer for some uh, programming. Happy to answer any uh, questions you have about our services. Um, otherwise, we'll just turn the floor back over to the mayor. All right, well, thanks for the update. Any other items for COVID-19 that counselors want to talk about? I do, well, it's not a different one, but given the presentation that we just had, I'm curious what other counselors think about trying to start a program, and I'm not saying the city does this by themselves, but to really educate the community about the benefits and maybe even additional safety of the face shields versus masks. And 
potentially even you know with other organizations doing some sort of fundraising to buy shields um, to encourage people to you know like um, buy two to give one away to somebody who can't afford it it just seems to me that as we go forward I think people are getting really tired of the face masks I mean theoretically you could even go out to a restaurant um, and and eat with a face shield on um, if you're using a straw you could probably drink you know those sorts of things so it just seems like it could be a big improvement and maybe um, I know they're a little bulkier to carry around, but if you're if you're going to wear your mask or shield all the time you're out in public anyway, I don't know. It's just it's just a thought off the top of my head after listening to that presentation, but it's something that I would be interested in having us think about pursuing a little bit more. Miss Pauline, I, I agree with Susan. Uh, when Councillor Thomas and I were uh, walking Willow Creek with some neighbors there, one of the ladies had been making masks, and as we walked along, if she saw some some joggers that weren't wearing masks, she offered it to them and, and they took it. They, they were very grateful and, and put them on. So I think if we have some kind of a program where we educate folks about the shields and uh, partner with a group uh, to be able to provide these shields, I, I think we will see people being able to wear them and wear them out in public. I agree with that. And I think specifically, Susan, um, I don't know if the Better Together group has addressed face shields specifically but I reached out to the Masks of Wellness folks several weeks ago, I think before even um, Eli and Michael's uh, uh, article in, in JAMA was published, but just said, are you thinking about face shields as being um, an alternative for businesses who could be sort of certified in that program? And I think um, if, that's, if that's tied into the Better Together initiative, I think that would be that would be really great. So hopefully with the science a little more solidified, we could push that again. I think that's a good idea. No, we haven't talked about that yet at the Better Together, but I think that's a, a good place where we could maybe initiate some things. I also heard that city manager Jeff said before, uh, this is, you can buy, you was planning on buying, oh no, no, like ideas. You was providing ideas that we can uh, buy some of the mask instead we can do the shield especially you have this money coming and we know this is something that that's a good cause to use it for uh, also that's an option we can use for the Iowa City resident um, I've been a, a big facial fan for quite a while now I started I started wearing it pretty early on in the grocery store I got a few odd looks and I thought what do I care they can see me, I can see them, I can't touch my face, um, my glasses don't fog up, uh, even if, and so there, to me, also anyone who is hearing impaired can still see my lips. And that to me is also, when we're talking about inclusivity, that's also a very important point. Yeah. So it sounds like maybe um, if better together, I, Councilor Mims, you're on that committee. So that's something that maybe you all can navigate and kind of get back uh, and let us know if there's anything our city council or city needs to do. Yeah, I'll, I'll mention it and uh, might reach out to some of you individually and see what other contacts you have and, and how, how we might want to coordinate this. And not, I'm not trying to just dump it on city staff, but look at some way that, and I think that Better Together group is really trying to do a lot of community-wide and it's more than just Iowa City it's really all Johnson County um, and of course we all interact with each other in various places so um, we'll kind of start there I'll reach out to some of you and get some ideas and maybe we can figure out a way to kind of get a program going both educationally but also some sort of a purchase program um, again for maybe people who can afford them by their own and maybe encourage them to donate another enough for another one or two for people who can't afford them. So I'll reach out to you. Thanks. Great. Thank you. All right. We're going to move on to the next item on our agenda, which is Ashley kind of leading us down this road once again on the strategic plan for 2020 uh, or 2021. So. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, we are getting close here. Last uh, last work session, we 
I'm going to work on sharing my screen, but um, last work session, we got close to finishing here. Um, the, the general overtone of the discussion and in light of COVID and, and really all other activities happening today, um, there was an interest in inciting the health condition also of our residents. And so we drafted this statement that will be paired with um, our original kind of statement, the strategic plan intends to foster a more inclusive, just, and sustainable Iowa City. And it adds, by prioritizing the physical, mental, and economic well-being of all residents. So that's a statement that um, is up for discussion by council. If it's uh, detailed enough or specific to your wishes and, and what you're planning to convey, this um, this explainer kind of just starts the plan or or the the strategic plan document so uh it's the header and then we would have some type of graphic that is improved upon my my draft there that identifies each of our priorities and then it goes into the specific uh the specific strategies that that you've identified you know the the bulleted items so uh, if you want to discuss that first segment, then um, once we finish that, we'll just uh, jump to that last section that we haven't done yet. I really like that header. I, I think it hits on virtually everything. I mean, when we talked about more inclusive just, we talk about sustainable, and when you talk about people's health, um, it is, it, it's the physical, it's mental, and so much of that then also becomes their economic opportunities and, and economic well-being. So I don't know who came up with the wording, but I certainly like it. My only suggestion would be it there, and there are a couple of places where it could go in, would be to consider inserting the word equitable as well. Just the word equitable. Yes, I agree with Janice. Okay, we can certainly um, fit the equitable somewhere within that statement um, to make sure that we're including that as well. Okay, good. I'll move on. Um, we've been through the, the, the couple of sections here about advancing human rights, climate action, um, engagement with the community and intergovernmental relations, um, investing in public infrastructure or fiscal uh, circumstances. We did um, slightly modify based on council's discussion, this foster healthy neighborhoods and affordable housing throughout the city. Um, we modify that first initiative to um, identify new efforts to expand and, and adapt the city's affordable housing and neighborhood improvement strategies to meet long-term needs throughout the community. So we've included identify new and meet long-term needs. So thoughts or further discussion about this one? I think this was one John kind of chimed in on, and, it, and I think it does what I remember of what I remember does meet kind of the discussion goal. Okay. I think we worked on the language during the meeting um, and, and sort of came to a consensus about it. So that's reflected there. Okay. We did not make changes to enhancing community mobility for all residents. And then we left this final section about inclusive and uh, an inclusive and resilient economy throughout the city. So um, there were some ideas thrown out there uh, last meeting and we came up with the following three. Through collaboration with local partners, increase opportunities for marginalized and low income populations 
to obtain access to skills training, good jobs, and affordable childcare. So we included the, the childcare component and um, slimmed down specifying who those partners were uh, from the prior strategic plan. The next one is encourage healthy, diverse, and sustainable economic activity throughout Iowa City, including taking steps to invigorate neighborhood commercial districts and create new small neighborhood commercial nodes. So there were pieces of, of the wider neighborhood commercial districts and then those little neighborhood gems that we like to think we could grow. And then finally, it's to effectively market and grow the local foods economy and small locally owned businesses. So those are for up for discussion and we'll take notes on anything you want to talk about. So at the, at the um, demonstration last on Saturday, one of the things that one of the speakers noted is that um, and I don't know if it's 100% correct, is that there are no um, black or minority owned businesses downtown. Is that correct? That's I mean, right. That's that's right. right. Cindy um, and Kelly owns the Maker's Loft and that's downtown. So that is I, inaccurate. Okay, good. That's right. That, but I was just wondering if we, should, if we should somehow basically up the ante on that sum and just have a word or two in there about um, also uh, supporting or support for uh, minority-owned small businesses as well. I don't know if our city staff know, but we can see their screen, um, the IT staff. There we go. I was taking notes. Okay, so we are including the uh, minority-owned businesses potentially within that um, that second objective there, or or in that third. I was thinking about it in the third, but someone else may have better, have a better idea or a better better way to include it. I just wanted to throw that out. Certainly. Uh, just a suggestion. Um, I, I would um, I would put that as a as a as, as maybe break that third bowl up bullet up. Um, the way it reads right now, and the way that I, at least I was understanding it was effectively market and grow the local foods economy and small locally owned businesses. It almost sounds like the small locally owned businesses is also tied to the food economy. So if you just want to promote, promote minority businesses in general and be very um, expansive with the definition of what types of businesses those are, then I, I would break that out separately. And you may or may not still want to keep the small locally owned business piece. And, and maybe we should take the opportunity to clarify whether that's tied to local foods or not. I just believe it's not supposed to be tied to local food only. Like, yes, as uh, my understanding, what Council Janice said is just in general, like uh, minority on business in general. Then I, then I think we'll just break that out into a separate bullet if that's okay. Yeah, I, I think this is a good idea. Yeah, I mean, either a separate bullet or I don't know if you want to get bullets under bullets, but what you could do with that third one is effectively market and grow, semicolon, and then kind of three bullets underneath it, the local foods economy, small locally owned businesses, minority owned businesses. Because to me, it seems like we're talking about the same thing, but three different categories of businesses. But I'm... Work. Just a suggestion, right? I don't want to try and work the whole thing here. I get that's work. Yeah. Yeah. 
anything else with this one that we think we want to change? It, I, it looks pretty good to me now with the changes. I don't see the changes. Oh, they're, they'll bring the changes back. They're right oh, in the down okay. now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So okay. What, what, but, what, but I agree with Susan on like, yeah, it's look, look good. Yeah, you can do that. So what we will do is uh, finalize these changes uh, in the document. And then the next time you see this, it'll be in resolution form and we'll ask you to formally adopt it. And that'll be our, uh, our, our permission to get going on, on this at the staff level. Sure. Sounds good. All right. Anything else on this? Ashley? Thank you, Ashley, and thank you all the staff putting this. Thanks for your persistence. All right. Okay. Patience and persistence. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, thank you to staff, and yes, probably especially you, Ashley. You've done a, you've done a lot of heavy lifting with a lot of the wording here, probably, so thank you. Jeff, Jeff has pitched in plenty, so uh, thank you <laughs> to everyone. Well, thanks to you too, We're Jeff. Excited. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> yes. We're excited about it. We'll, we'll get it back to you uh, at the next meeting. Thanks. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks to you, Ashley, for your persistence and patience <laughs> through this process. So, all right. We are on to clarification of agenda items for our tonight meeting, which starts at 7. Again, I did want to just make mention that um, towards the beginning of the meeting, um, I will make some statements related to George Floyd. And I have also, um, or we, we also will have uh, um, some representatives from our police department, which will be um, um, Campbell, our chief Campbell, who will come and present. And we will also have the union uh, someone from the union, if I understand correctly. That's Remember correct, yes. Yes, so, so yeah, so we will, I will do that at the beginning of our um, formal meeting tonight. If nothing else from the formal agenda, then we'll move on to info packets May 21st. just glad to see with IP2, um, we've talked about this before, but the increase in vouchers and increase in budget authority uh, for housing. So glad to see that. Info packet May 28th. And I know IP5 the memo from the Neighborhood and Development Services about the eviction protection update for both tenants and um, owners of um, houses. I don't know if there's anyone that can give us an update. I don't know if anyone. Yeah. Uh, Mayor, I can, I can speak briefly to this. Um, Tracy Haichu and the NDS staff has been uh, working on a, um, a kind of a bridge program, if you will, uh, based on uh, based on the last dis discussion at, or based on discussion at the last council meeting. Um, so what we're looking at is a, a period of, 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 of time of while the state program is being launched um, uh, and um, before the CDBG dollars are available, we want to make sure there's rental assistance to anybody facing emergent situations. Now, we don't believe that there's going to be um, uh, a, a, an eviction crisis, if you will, uh, uh, in the month of June because of some of the uh, protections in the CARES Act and, and just the, the nature of restarting uh, operations at the courthouse. 
So, um, but we don't want to wait until there is that crisis either. So what we're looking at here is um, allocating uh, $50,000, which is a fairly small amount given the magnitude of the problem, but $50,000 of local funds uh, for uh, emergency uh, housing relief. Uh, and this could include some utility relief too, if there's emergent utility issues that, that, are, that someone is facing, uh, like a disconnect type of situation. Um, and uh, what this again would be, uh, what we would do is work with our, our nonprofit partners. Um, I think uh, uh, right now we're working with the shelter house on this program. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to split the $50,000 up, but um, we would work with the shelter house uh, uh, to make sure that this $50,000 is available. We would then broadcast that through um, other uh, nonprofits that would work with folks that would need this uh, assistance so they know that that's there. And then again, hopefully that fills a gap for a few weeks. And, and by that time, uh, we hope to get the CDBG dollars rolled out. We still don't have the final okay from the federal government to roll out our CDBG allocation, uh, but we hope that is coming and uh, that will then provide a more substantial amount of rent relief. And, and after that, we'll, we will kind of have a, a better handle on the situation because the state program will have been out for several weeks. The CDBG program will have been put out. Uh, we'll have local funds. There could be a need for more local funds and, and staff will come back to you and, and give you that assessment um, after talking with some of uh, our providers who are uh, working with the public that, that has these needs. So um, this is just more of an information uh, informational item uh, for you. We'd, we'd love any guidance that you have because we, we don't have our agreements executed on how we would spend this 50000 But again, it's, uh, it's, it's looked at as a bridge uh, type of program for, for um, uh, uh, very emergent circumstances. Um, and we are targeting those that are not eligible uh, for the state program. So we're still pushing anybody that's eligible to the state program onto that program first. But if you are not eligible for the state, we want to help you through this local program if you're facing an emergency. I just want to ask you, you, you just said uh, the 50,000 for the people who are not eligible for the state program. That what you thinking? Yes, that's correct. If you're eligible for the state program, then we would, uh, through again, through our partners, we would help you apply for those funds and secure those funds. But uh, if you're not eligible or if you're, or if you're denied, I should, I should add that, if you're denied for some reason, if they run out of their funds immediately or there's some other circumstances uh, where you don't get the funds, then, then we could look to help you through our local program. But if, this, if we Sorry. want this to start as soon as possible, because we know that the state programs would take maybe a while, uh, how, how are we going to know that the people are being denied it or if the people are not eligible or not? Is there is a criteria or policy that in place? Yeah, so the, the state program's already been launched, and so we know the criteria um, that's out there. And um, we can, again, through, the, through our, our providers, um, help people apply and then we'll know right away if they're not eligible. Uh, there's some circumstances that we know right off the bat they're not going to be eligible. If you're receiving the extra $600 a month in unemployment insurance, you're not eligible for the state program. If you're an undocumented resident of our community, you're not eligible. So those people would immediately go to the front of the line for our, our local program if there's an emergency there. So Jess, do we have any sort of a ballpark figure of how many you think there might be? Or maybe Maza here, through your work with CWJ, you have some idea of how many perhaps undocumented folks out there might uh, qualify for this program? To be honest with you, because we are giving people not only Iowa City residents, uh, you know, just from my home to yours program that we, we launched it, and we raised around $80,000 that we distributed to the people who are not eligible for stimulus check, we have we distributed to 140 families so far. But some of them, of course, are not Iowa City residents. Uh, but most of them are. I just had one um, policy question that I'd raised to Jeff. I want to make sure that we do, that we're you know, not in not adding any barriers to the program because the intent of this is to help folks who may not be eligible for other 
other benefits, but just as far as the logistics of it to make sure I understand correctly, any of these funds are not going directly to families. They would be going directly to the landlords. Is that right? Correct. Yes. And so I had just raised the question of, is there, is there some mechanism for when we're spending, you know, city, city funds, is there some mechanism for ensuring that we're not subsidizing, I guess what I would call sort of profit on, on the landlords. Um, and I know that that's a, uh, fraught issue and probably way too complicated for something that we're trying to roll out very quickly. But, you know, when, when we provide assistance of any kind with public dollars direct to individuals or families, there are so many requirements and qualifications typically that uh, it's just an interesting policy issue that I wanted to raise and see if you had any thoughts on from the staff level. Yeah, that's, it's, a, it's a really difficult one. Uh, we've started talking about that internally. Uh, I had a, a side conversation um, uh, with uh, a shelter house uh, on that as well. And I think we all recognize exactly what you're trying to, uh, to, to get at here. Um, we're just having to figure out the best way, frankly, to, to address that yet. So um, with, with this pot of funds, um, we don't have any type of uh, protection uh, like that built in. Uh, we do require that the landlord verify that, uh, you know, that they, um, uh, uh, that, the, you know, that the rent is in arrears and that um, they, they'll certify that they will not pursue eviction. Uh, so there's landlord certifications in there that, that have Good. to accompany our, our, um, our assistance, but um, we don't have any type of mechanism right now for a, a financial kind of health check for, the, sure. uh, for whoever the landlord is. I really, uh, Council Laura, if you don't mind, if you can tell me exactly what you are worried about because I couldn't I really, I, I started getting, my, my connection wasn't good and I couldn't understand exactly what you are worried about, especially that my understanding, the check will be written to the landlord. But I guess you said something else. Maybe I didn't understand, fully understand. I don't, well, I don't think I said it very, very clearly either. My, my concern, so when we provide um, public assistance to individuals and families from, not necessarily directly from the city, but just the idea of providing that assistance, there's all these requirements of need, right? A family or an individual has to substantiate their need with sometimes very invasive and complicated um, application processes. And so when this money is going directly to the landlord, my question was, do we have any way of ensuring that we're not subsidizing what I would call profit for the landlord, that there is some need? And so Jeff articulated that at least the landlord does have to say that the rent has not been paid and that they will not be pursuing eviction. So I, my concern was more that we're not just funneling public dollars to uh, um, a landlord who who isn't actually missing out on the financial need of their rent. Okay, get you. Yeah. Okay, that makes Thanks. sense. Yeah. 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 Thank you. I guess from um, and I, I hear what you're saying, and I do think that it's appropriate that we have the landlord certify. And but for me, I think we stop there. Um, we just saw our entire nation. Um, get some funds through PPE, um, I'm sorry, PPP, <laughs> um, where e essentially there were companies that are billionaires, um, billions and trillions of dollars was able to get some of that money with, without very little question. Now, we're not the nation, we're, we're not the White House, you know, distributing those monies. Of course, we probably would have um, had a little more um, um, where's the need associated with the funds that we're releasing? Um, but those funds were given out with very little requirements. And I think when we often look at um, individuals with need, sometimes we ask too many questions. And um, I'm not saying that what you're, <laughs> you know, ours is saying is inappropriate at all. But I think we we stop there personally. We stop at having the landlord certify and if they certify if there is any type of um, underhanded trying to get over on the government i think we just leave it at that knowing that our good was 
Um, our intentions are to do good and to help people in the quickest, least invasive way possible. So I want to say about this, Meyer, is that, you know, my experience of helping people with a sheltered house or with a crisis center, I know that they have system in place whenever you come and apply for a benefit, like, for example, for the rapidly housing or for the, for the, yes, uh, crisis at the crisis center where you apply for utility help, uh, usually you have to bring uh, a bill that, you know, showing that you are past you and they, they will provide with the, before they write the check to the, you know, to, to the utility company or to the landlord of paying the rent. So I think they already have a mechanism there to make sure that they are not doing, like they are not just subsidizing somebody who are not in need. Uh, I understand your concern, but you know, hopefully we can just minimize the question and let those uh, people handle this the way that they used to handle it. I guess they have very good system in place. Uh, you know, Great. we don't need to worry. Great. Any other item from May 28th? Info packet. All right. Council updates on the assigned boards, commissions, and committees. Even during COVID-19, there's been <laughs> work still being done. Well, I think uh, most of us, of course, except for you, Mayor, since the mayor doesn't sit in on it, went to the, or attended the Zoom uh, MPO meeting uh, recently, last week. Uh, major item was, again, the federal aid swap program, uh, which the majority present felt that there still was not enough uh, supportive data to, for our group to opt in. Uh, we've been asking the last couple of times it's come before us for for data, particularly any sort of financial reason to, to opt into this, uh, uh, which is like for roads and bridge projects with the federal funds being swapped for state funds. Uh, so the majority of the folks uh, vote, did vote to uh, opt out again this year. So it'll, it'll come before us again, but uh, we can, will continue to opt out of that program. Jeff and I continue to sit in on the Friday Better Together uh, meetings, and I think Jeff has probably given um, as good a synopsis of that as, as I could in his um, Friday email. So I'll just, if you didn't read that, refer you back to his Friday email just to save us some time. I think he was pretty complete in his description of our, com of our conversations. We had a, an ECOG meeting also uh, by Zoom. The the almost the irony of this is that the because of the CARES Act funding, ECOG is going to is going to end up in better shape financially than it has been. So there there won't be they won't be in deficit. They'll be able to actually work on a, on the fiscal year with, without having to worry about that. Um, and for people who are not in within Iowa City. They're, the housing portion of what they do that run by Tracy Achenbach has some funds as well that they're reaching out to some of the smaller communities on. Okay. Hearing no other updates, I guess we will be back at 7 p.m. for our formal meeting. Wow. All right. Okay. See you guys. See you soon. Okay.